You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com. This is On The Beat. We're recording this live on YouTube. If you're with us on the YouTube stream, I appreciate you here. Uh, you being here, be interactive. Tell us good things, bad things, ask us questions, whatever you want to do. If you're not with us live, but you have an opportunity, make sure you subscribe to that Inside Carolina YouTube channel. You'll get these notifications when we are live or when new content is posted. And also rate us, review us, and follow us on the podcast channels that you, uh, or the podcast apps that you use. We've got Greg Barnes, Luke Buxton, and Gregory Hall. Gregory Hall, fresh off Carolina baseball game. How were they doing, Gregory? Because that was a ranked game, wasn't it? Yeah, ECU's um, like consensus top 10 across all the different boards and UNC is kind of all over the place. I know their highest is 14th and some polls have them out of the top 25, but they're winning 7-1 right now. And ECU has been hitting the ball and they've just, Danny Soretti made a couple of nice plays and Thomas Frick and um, Cast Agnazi had two home runs and they're taking care of business, which they lost to Liberty back-to-back midweek games. So this is a pretty good, pretty good win for them. Yeah, that's one thing I do miss is getting up to Chapel Hill to see some baseball games. Certainly fun. They've got beer out there now. Nice. If I could afford it. I mean, a beer, I can get two tickets. Great Barnes. Let's talk a little bit about North Carolina football, of course. The shining light in Chapel Hill has been on the basketball program, but football practice started today, and Mike Brown met with the media, as did Sam Howell and Natron Means. I think that's a pretty cool hire. We can talk about that briefly, but – Mac Brown, uh, Greg, when I listen to him talk, he's always been a confident man. Um, he's confident in what he can do and he's confident in what he expects. But I think a little bit behind his confidence this year, he knows he's got something special. Uh, your overall thoughts on what you heard from him today? Yeah, well, this is the year that, that he's been pointing to. You know, if you go back to 2019, uh, he kind of said, we've got some growing to do in 2020 but the potential is there for 2021 to be special. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The obvious glaring one, of course, is Sam Howell, who was, I think you can make the case that he was the best quarterback in the ACC last year. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, of course, is right up there at the top, but Trevor's gone now. So you would assume that Sam kind of moves into that spot. Um, And if you're the best quarterback in the ACC, that means you're in contention for arguably the best quarterback in the country. And that's what he's going to try to prove this year. But beyond that, I think they've you know, 21 or 22 starters from the Orange Bowl are coming back, 18 uh, starters from, from last season. Uh, a lot of guys beyond those 18 starters who played some snaps last year. And so when, when you roll all that together, there's a potential here for North Carolina to take a step forward. And now that uh, we're kind of back on, on standard solid footing, with how things are going to be playing out in the ACC next year. North Carolina 
they're a heavy favorite, I think, to, to win the Coastal. Uh, Miami's up there as well. We'll have to see exactly what happens with De'Aaron King. Uh, Clemson's still going to be good. But North Carolina's next step is, is to win the Coastal and then see what you can do on a primetime stage against probably Clemson next year. Uh, and if you can get to that point and maybe win that game, who knows what else is possible. Uh, there haven't been many times when we've been able to say those kind of things with a straight face. And that's one of the reasons there's, there's so much excitement around this program uh, starting today, you know, the, the start of spring practice. You mentioned saying that with a straight face. It's funny. One of Mac's comments said that uh, when he came in, one of the first things he told the guys is we expect to win every game. And I think the comment back was, a, you hadn't seen us play yet or something to that effect. Since you've been covering this Carolina team, there have been some good good teams. Uh, mm -hmm. 2015 was you know, a good record at least, but I don't remember near the expectation. What can Carolina fans sort of compare this lead up to? Is it 10? Is it 9? Is it deeper than that? Uh, you know, further back than that? I mean, is there any rational comparison going on here for longtime Carolina fans? Well, I think just, just recently, clearly it's 2010, 2016. Um, because 16, of course, you're coming off that 11 and 3 year. And even though you were losing Marquise Williams as quarterback, uh, everybody thought Mitch Trubisky was heir apparent anyway. And to be fair, what, a third of the way through that 2016 season, Trubisky's name is being thrown out as a Heisman candidate. Uh, and so I, I think that buildup was, was pretty significant. I mean, Carolina was picked to win the Coastal that year uh, and you expected to maybe challenge Clemson. 2010, we, I think we all remember that. The fact that they had 25,000 people at the spring game was, was quite impressive, and ESPN was there. Um, that, the team was loaded. You know, Tommy Thigpen, who is a member of this staff now, a couple of years ago told me that he, he thought that team had more talent than Auburn, which is where he was at. And, of course, Auburn won the national championship that year. Uh, oh, what could have been, right? But then really before that, you've got to go back to, to Max last year. And with how everything played out in 96 – um, judgment Day and all this kind of things, or the, the precursor to Judgment Day, uh, it, it set up uh, this opportunity in 97 to say, okay, you know what? We are going to beat Florida State this year. We are going to get to a BCS Bowl. And, and you go into Judgment Day and all the excitement there. So there haven't been many opportunities like this, Tommy. And this is kind of a rare bird. And I think that's one of the reasons so many people are excited because this is a legitimate reason to think that North Carolina can do something it hasn't done in a long, long time. I mean, the last time this program won the ACC title uh, was 41 years ago, long, long time ago. And so uh, that is a realistic opportunity for this team this year. I don't remember the ACC title. I do remember 10-8 Clemson, Carolina, um, where Clemson won 10-8 way back in, I guess, 81 when Carolina had a chance to do it again. Gregory Hall, you were there. You were in the press conference. And I'm not leaving out Luke Buxton, folks. He just hasn't um, wanting in, in on the football stuff today. So we'll get to Luke shortly. But, Gregory, uh, one of the biggest takeaways to me as well was um, Brown was just beaming over the defensive line opportunities or, or the talent on that defensive line. And we've talked about it a ton on this podcast and on Inside Carolina. For Carolina to be elite or to move up to a, a rung up towards elite, it's got to be on that defensive line. Max seems to think they may have something special there this year. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, and it's kind of – I 
la- this year they lost obviously uh, Jason Strobridge, Aaron Crawford, and so the expectations for the D line were probably the lowest as far as position group goes, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but this year they're at, they're at some of the highest because they have a lot a lot of faith in Tamari Fox and Ray Vahasek. And they love the young guys coming in, Keyshawn Silver, Javari Ritzy. Um, and then obviously you've got the guys on the outside. But the interior, I think, is where it starts with having that rock-solid base with Tamari Fox, who's out this spring, so you, we won't get to see him. But that will allow competition to grow with some of the guys that they haven't seen. And Mac talked today about making the unknowns knowns this spring in multiple position groups but when it came to defensive line he was really high on miles murphy um obviously you've got clyde pender who's another young guy um kendrick bingley jones another one um mac was just going on and on and said that the competition there um uh, i don't exactly remember the direct quote but it had to do with how fun probably the most fun to watch was going to be the defensive line which i think is true considering how last year like I mentioned, I mean, you don't really know what you're going to get with losing two um, big starters and two guys that were the anchor of your defense, where this year those two guys in Vahasek and Tamari Fox can be that anchor that Strobridge and Crawford was. Greg, Tommy, I'll add, in, I'll add in this. At the end of last season, we asked Mac, how do you transition from where you're at now to becoming an elite program that can compete for the ACC championship and you know, be in a New Year's Six Bowl and maybe even a college football playoff. And the two things he said was offensive and defensive line dominance and then depth. If you look at this team, they return almost everyone on the defense uh, front minus Chaz and then return all five offensive starting offensive linemen and then start building depth at the cornerback, at the quarterback position and the offensive line position at the running or, or at the running back and wide receiver position. So I think Mac is really happy to see that is, is a goal for the team to build depth and be strong, especially in the trenches. That's why it's really looking up for the Tar Heels. Yeah, and Greg, when we talk about the trenches, I've always felt like you can smoke in mirror on offense enough to get by. But on defensive line, you can't do that. Um, and Mac talked a lot about being able to get sacks where it didn't involve scheme. And I think that's the key. I, I think, and I've said it before, this year, this defensive line is going to carry this team as far as they can go. Um, do you agree or disagree there? Yeah, I agree. And you talk about smoke and mirrors. I mean, that's essentially what that is. And, and give Jay Bateman a lot of credit. Uh, but when you are having to scheme up pressure, uh, it means everybody's got to be on point with their assignments because that, it takes a team effort, essentially, to be able to scheme up pressure. And then kind of beyond that, it's really a situation where you can't, uh, you can't just play conservative. Um, you know, Butch Davis, he always said, look, my front four guys are freelance. They can one gap, they can two gap, they can do whatever they want. And we're just going to sit in the back seven and just play zone. And we're going to be effective because our guys are good enough. Talking about 2010, that spring game, uh, he had to bench Robert Quinn. And the reason why is nobody in the offensive line could stop him. And so they said, you know what? In order to make this fun and fair and uh, something that the fans can enjoy, you know, we're going to take him off the field. Carolina hasn't had somebody like that in a long, long time. I mean, Kareem Martin maybe was the last guy, right, that I can think of. Maybe I'm missing somebody. And 
he hadn't played in seven, eight years. So you, there's a lot of talent in the, the younger classes and somebody has to pop. And just having one guy like that, that other teams have to key on and have to say, okay, you know what? We've got to double team this guy, or we've got to chip in with a tight end, or we've got to chip in with a running back. That changes what an offense has to do. And that changes what you can do defensively. So, yeah, I don't think there's any, any doubt. Uh, and as Luke said, offensive line should be loaded this year. The fact that Joshua Zudu is not practicing in spring ball, uh, that's not a concern for the coaching staff because they know what he can do. They need guys behind him to be able to step up and get reps. And so they're okay with him not practicing. Um, and defensive line-wise, kind of the same thing. You know, Tamari Fox is, is going to be out. Um, he is a guy that needs more practice reps for sure. He needs to come on. But you are setting the uh, table for some of these younger guys to come in and say, you know what, guys, you didn't get a spring ball last year. We didn't get to see you really until training camp. So it took too long for the young guys to come along last year. That's not going to be the case this year. So there, there's a lot of opportunity right now for these young guys to make a name for themselves. And Greg, you mentioned um, kind of that with they're okay with Zuno not practicing. Well, Mac today, Jeremiah Gimmel, who is full go for spring, he even, Mac even made a point today saying, look, we know what Jeremiah Gimmel can do. I mean, he led our defense in snaps last year. We kind of know what Eugene Asante can do. But as far as linebackers, those are the two guys. I mean, Kondry Jackson, he played 67 snaps last year. And then you've got guys like Power Eccles who are coming in that they have no idea who can step up at the linebacker position. And so Mac was like, look, let Jeremiah get out there, let him get his reps, but we want to see other guys and what they can do. And I mean, the talk for the past three years, or I guess the year three has been about getting the two deep. And Mac even mentioned he felt confident that the two deep was going to be accomplished. And he even mentioned three deep, which is words that he has not really said since he's been here. And I, I, I took that as something of note of being like, they're, they're very confident that they're going to get to two deep this spring. And they're going to even start looking beyond that, which I think to Luke, what you said earlier was what makes a, a good football team. So that begs the question. Uh, I mean, how, and Gregory, you can answer this. How bad, how much better could this team have been last year if they had a spring? And how important is this spring? I mean, I don't, I don't think any of that can be overstated. Right. Um, it's kind of crazy that they didn't have a spring. Like you think about that, about how important spring ball is, even though it's a limited number of practices. I mean, it gives a chance for these early enrollees to kind of come in and get used to college football and the pace before actually playing college football. I mean, Mac even mentioned today about how he asked some of the young guys, how was your first day? And all they always say, oh, how fast it was, right? Because it's a culture shock. Um, and especially this year, it was brought up that some of these guys haven't played high school football in over a year, right? Because they didn't get their fall ball and they some of them left early because the high school football is happening now in the spring, right? So, I mean, that's just the impact that this spring ball is going to have on this team and teams around the country that didn't get it last year is going to be way more significant than I think we've seen in the past ever. Indeed it will. And before we go any further for people that are watching on the live stream, and if you're not watching on the live stream, but listening later, uh, this is a need to know Tumblr inside Carolina Tumblr. So these are uh, swag that inside Carolina people have as Luke has as well. And Greg, and Gregory have them as well. But if you want to win some IC swag, 
whatever question we deem is the best one of the night, sort of like we do on the Inside Carolina Live show, myself with Joey Powell, you'll get some IC swag, be it uh, the plastic tumblers or hats or whatever. So send your questions in, win some IC swag. It's a uh, small thing to send a question in to get some cool stuff. Can't promise you one of these, maybe in the bowls lot one day when we get back to that and definitely not what we're uh definitely not what's in them that's up to you to put whatever you want in them greg barnes i'll come to you one more question about spring ball he talks about a two deep a lot um and three deep in some positions but one thing we didn't hear about unless i just totally missed it is the backup quarterback <laughs> your favorite position <laughs> exactly so i was listening to hear um him talk about it. i need to know who jersey whose jersey to get i mean how, one thing he mentioned and i thought this was interesting he didn't care how many reps gimmel got in practice or in spring ball because they know what he can do clearly that's not the same with a quarterback as you have to build chemistry and all that stuff but how do they sort of balance that what they know what they have with Sam Howell versus getting these other two guys, whether it's Chris Well or Drake May, ready um, for that turned ankle scenario in the fall? Well, I think right now it's just a matter of you know, what they've done in the past is, and we saw this in 2019, it was a cool story, is with the younger guys especially, the point is to learn what you're supposed to do, is to learn schemes, is to understand a lot of these different dynamics you know, how to hand off properly, your footwork, all those things. That's what matters. And it's very easy for young kids to really think about the competition before they worry about taking care of their own business. And so what Mac and uh, Phil Longo did in 2019 in the spring, they told the quarterbacks, look, guys, we're not even having a competition right now. We'll get to that later. And what a lot of these programs do, and UNC does this, is once you establish a two deep at quarterback, as you get into the season, you're really working 50-50 reps because you want to make sure your backup's ready. You don't have a lot there for the third string. And so I think what you, you're going to see is this time of year, it's going to be pretty evenly split. Mac likes to have four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. Uh, and so you'll see those split up quite a bit. And I think you'll even see that into preseason camp because to your point, there's no question who the starter is here. You want to make sure that how is comfortable that he's able to get all the reps that he wants and all the reps that he needs without overworking him. And then at that point, you can really divvy him up because you will have to make a decision leading up to that game week, right? First uh, Virginia Tech uh, to know who your backup's going to be. So they're not going to make that decision in spring. It's going to be made kind of midway through training camp. So what that means is you got five weeks of, of practice here, you know, 15 practices, and you're probably going to have that many in, in camp so roughly 30 practices for these backups to really determine who is the best option uh, Chris well clearly has a step up just because he was the backup last year but I think everybody knows that, that Drake May is is an up-and-comer and they expect big things out of him so it will be interesting to see how this plays out I just don't know that we're going to know a lot about that backup position by the time we, we finish up here with the spring game on, on April 24th yeah, I can I can assure you that one of those two guys will go off in the spring game and be right. anointed. Go ahead. Brent Renner in 2010. We keep going back to that. Brent Renner had Tommy's people guy. saying TJ Yates is not going to be the starting quarterback 2010. It's Brent Renner. Speaking <laughs> of Brent Renner, yeah, he got engaged. Yeah, he's, he's, Brent Renner. he's kicked he's, his coverage. He, he outkicked his coverage. No, he's he is, QB he's, coach. I saw that tweet. 
yeah. FIU now, Three right? <laughs> I would say, Greg, going off the quarterback room, I think the I think we had a question on the YouTube uh, live. The running back room must be really interesting. Obviously, Ty Chandler came in, kind of changes things up, being uh, the vet in the group. But, like, looking down the list to see who's going to get time, whether it's you know, Henderson, DJ Jones, Elijah Green, and then uh, Kamar Ed- Edmonds, Caleb Hood, I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of see the pecking order play out. It's totally anyone's game, right? Like, two starting two starting running backs left. No one really had any snaps last year. Grad transfer comes in. I think it's going to be really exciting to see how that falls and who's going to be the one and two backs and come fall. Yeah. And to Greg's point about with the quarterbacks in 2019, about not having competition, Max said today, um, especially with the early enrollees, guys like Camaro Edmonds and guys like Caleb Hood, especially in the running backs, Luke, you mentioned it's learn what to do. Don't worry about a spot, come in, learn what to do, learn the scheme, learn what we expect of you and then compete is kind of what Max said today. So I think that, plays a larger role with the running backs for the position group. That's kind of the most wide open. Obviously Ty Chandler is the, is expected to be the guy because he is that veteran. Um, but I mean, Mac likes to, like we saw with Javante and, and Michael Carter, Mac likes to run as many and Longo as many a hot hand with running backs. So it could be uh, a plethora of guys uh, that we see. Yeah. Ty Chandler didn't come to Carolina to see it. So, right. uh, I mean, the, the one B guy, you know, it's interesting they hire Natron Means to be an analyst, and you've got a guy like Caleb Hood that's probably pretty close to a Natron Means type. Um, I think it will be total shots in the dark. I think it'll be Hood um, and, and either Green or, or DJ Jones ultimately, but I think Ty Chandler is going to play a large portion of the snaps. And somebody also asked on the channel, would you rather have Walker Kessler not transfer or have one of the football players come back? Um, I'd take Javante Williams back on this team they have in the fall over any Carolina basketball player in the last two years, to be honest with you. And yeah, you Barnes does not there, agree. Right? Yeah, you, wouldn't I mean, want, you wouldn't want Cole Anthony on this basketball team this year? On this year? No, I was talking about it, if – Cole Anthony would do all right. I'd take and you Javante. said over any basketball player the last two years, right? Yeah, I still stick with what I said. Javante Williams on this team with Ty Chandler as well. All right, so here's my take on this. Walker Kessler. <laughs> every, time, the- every time Greg says, okay, so we're all about to get shown up. That's, know, all, this that's is what I've learned in three years. He's this looking is the like, football I don't portion. think you guys know what you're talking about. Right, this is the football <laughs> portion. So Kessler, I think, has some of the – uh, best upside of, of any big that I've seen in a long time. Uh, I think it was devastating that he transferred. I think he's the kind of guy that as a junior is going to be an All-American wherever he is. I think he The has problem with basketball, and I, know I run aground here, is does he even make a junior year? If you're guaranteeing somebody to be here three or four years, then I'm all for what you're saying. But the issue is in basketball these days is if you're any good, especially if you're any good and tall, you're off to the league. And well, that's that's a valid point for sure. Um, he was not a guy that was looking to go pro early. I think family and financial situation kind of allowed him to take his time and really work on his craft. Uh, but yeah, I mean that, that's certainly a legitimate point, Tommy. Football, however, with yes, Javante and Michael Carter you know, the best pair of running backs North Carolina's probably ever seen, if we're going to be honest about it. Uh, I know Natron's back and mentioned Johnson and Johnson, and uh, those would be fun conversations to have for sure. Uh, 
But when you've got a guy like Sam Howell and you've got a, an offensive line that's completely back and you've got Garrett Walston back and you've got some of the wide receivers they have, uh, that's a loaded offense even without, you know, an elite running back. And so I think, are these running backs as good as Michael or Javante? No. Do they have to be? I don't think so. And I think North Carolina is going to have to be a little bit more conventional, and we've talked about that before with their running the game. You can't just rely on Javante and Michael to break tackles the way that they have. Um, I don't know. That's necessarily a bad thing. And so we'll, we'll get to wait and see. While I do think there's a big question mark at running back, I'm not concerned about running back, if that makes any sense, just because you've got adequate bodies there. But with the offensive line in place and with Sam Howe absorbing so much attention, uh, I think somebody's going to be able to step through and shine. Now, they're not going to post Carter or Javante numbers, but I, I think they'll be, they'll be just fine. And it, Sorry. Um, no, you go ahead, because I was going to follow it up with one of the questions, so, but don't steal the question over there on the side. Yeah, um, we talk so much about scheme defensively with how Mac um, talking about how he wants his players to win sacks and get sacks one-on-one, right. And have relied so much on defensive scheme in the past. Well, now Greg, to your point being more conventional, I mean, you don't really need a guy to be the guy in the running back room when you have continuity on the offensive line. Um, and to the point where even if a guy gets hurt and goes out, cause we've all, we, the past couple of years, we've seen an offensive lineman go out hurt for at least a couple of games, but now they have confidence to put in a reserve that can fill that starting role. When you have that, it doesn't really matter who you put in the running back backfield, as long as they're an adequate body, which I think we can agree all of these guys are. Um, British Brooks and Josh Henderson didn't have the best performance against Texas A&M, but they didn't play all year. And now given these guys with the spring and being able to work in fall camp and throughout the season, I think the running back room will be fine. It won't be the best group that it has been the past couple of years. I mean, Mac, when he showed up was like number eight, who's that? I may need to make sure he's on my team talking about Michael Carter. Uh, and then last year he never wavered about the running back room being the best group position group. They don't need to be that when you have Sam Howell and you have a veteran offensive line that's played together. I know we've talked about having veteran offensive linemen in the past, but everything, nothing's more important than having continuity and cohesion on that front. I do not disagree with anything you said. I, I just watching Texas A&M game and knowing how Javante Williams played, um, the dude is different. And he, sure. makes, he, he makes everybody better. And that'll be the question for this offensive line is, was the offensive line really good last year? Or were Michael Carter and Javante Williams just ridiculously good and therefore um, had, you know, 4,000 yards the past two seasons? Which the question I was going to, and Greg, you can answer this before we take a break. Right side of the O-line is set, but we have a, do we have a favorite at left tackle? If it's uh, Richards, how do we feel about that? That's from Andrew Meadows. Yeah, they like, they like Richards. They like his skill set, his athleticism. They think he's going to grow into a, a – very high quality left tackle. Was he hit or miss at times last year? Yes, but uh, Gregory and I really dive into the, the pro football focus stats after games. I have I'm it up to, right now, by the way. I'm trying to think what game it was. Maybe you remember, Gregory. But there was a play where Awesome got beat badly, and it was a key play, and I think Sam got sacked. 
And it was just one of those plays where you, they showed on the replay on the TV and it was a big play. And you see Richards uh, kind of getting beat and abused on this play. And you're like, oh, that's terrible. It was like one of like two or three bad plays he had the entire game in like 70 snaps. Um, and so he, he has the talent. They really like what he can do. Did he make mistakes? Yes. He'll continue to make mistakes. They really like him. Um, and the, the other guy, of course, is uh, Wisdom Asper, who's, who's banged up right now. Uh, but that's a guy that they, they think has all the potential in the world. And sometimes they think he's going to be a first-round draft pick. Sometimes they think that he may not play for uh, his kid's little league team in a couple of years. So if it clicks for him, he's a guy that they think can really step in and do that. You know, Caden Baker is very solid as well. So I think Richards for sure is the, the headliner. Uh, and those other guys are going to have opportunities, but they like, they like what they have with some of the options. They just need consistency and a little bit of growth from all those guys. It was the Florida state game, by the way. Okay. Uh, last football specific question before we take a break, are we looking at UNC Notre Dame at Notre Dame being the same level as judgment day back in 97? Uh, of course it depends if they're both undefeated going into it, then by all means it will be probably bigger than that given that it'll be at Notre Dame um, but Greg the question is um, can you imagine a scenario um, that Notre Dame and Carolina is the national game game day I mean does it have to be an undefeated season on both ends for that to happen you think and I guess it depends on what everybody else is doing across the country but it does you know my initial thought when I heard that question was I don't think Notre Dame's going to be that good i mean they're, they're still going to be an elite program uh, i don't think they're going to be a top 10 team at that point in time and so not the, any knock on carolina but just the fact that notre dame is not going to be uh, you know, maybe a team challenging for a for a playoff berth which you know carolina may not be either but that was my initial takeaway it's going to take a lot to outdo that florida state game and i th- i think as well the fact that that game was in chapel hill um was such a key component of why everybody got so excited about that particular game being, being at Notre Dame, I think changes things dramatically just because Notre Dame is used to big games. Uh, and so that'll be a, that'll be a unique twist. I think looking at the schedule, I mean, I think the game two weeks beforehand, cause that game's coming off of a bye. Um, so I think that might, that might bring extra excitement just because I don't know, coming off a of bye week, but two weeks before is a home game against Miami. Um, and obviously we know what happened the last time Miami was in Chapel Hill and we know what UNC just did to Miami on the road. So I think that game might could be bigger than uh, the Notre Dame game considering Notre Dame is not necessarily in the ACC this season like they were last year. Just my opinion. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. If Miami is good, if De'Aaron King gets back to being good and, and I saw him tweeting out working and just had a, had a schedule and all that. But, you know, the hype that surrounds Notre Dame – you have a, a top – if Carolina starts out at seven, let's say they start out at seven, and they're undefeated, what would they be at that point? Eight? Seven and oh, eight and oh, going into it, Notre It's Dame? their eighth game of the season, so they would be seven and oh. So they would have a legitimate chance to be um, four or five in the country. Going to Notre Dame, I mean, that, that would just be – NBC would be all over it. The height would be ridiculous. Um, but you got to get there. But, yeah, I, I agree with Greg – having lived through judgment night and the hype and being there and all that, man, I, 
if Mike Brown gets it back to like that, then it's it's ridiculous because that game was just off the charts on anything I've ever experienced. You were there? Absolutely. That is my best ticket ticket wrangling job ever. I got like eighteen tickets. How did you do that? Can, tell us the story, Tommy. Come on. There's no story to tell. I just work the phone lines and work my connections that I used to have. Oh, okay. Times have changed. We had a blast though, until about kickoff. <laughs> And then it kind of went like you knew what was coming. Anyway, let's take a break. Let me talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Great friends of this podcast and great friends of you, the Inside Carolina subscriber. And if you are not an Inside Carolina subscriber, you need to do that. Get in on the deal. Look, if you follow the basketball team and you're not an Inside Carolina premium subscriber, you're missing out because those folks that are on the premium boards, they already know. They already know everything that's going on with the basketball team. So subscribe and get in on that Shrell and Greg and Ross and, and everybody has been just doing a bang up job on covering all those aspects of it. And also Don Callahan, your football recruiting scoop. So inside Carolina subscription. And then on top of that, you get your 10% off from Johnny t-shirt. They've got all the gear you need. I'll tell you one of my favorite gears, Gregory was talking about um, baseball. My favorite gear at, at Johnny t-shirt is those baseball jerseys or those shirts with the baseball lettering fantastic gear you can get at johnny t-shirt support them they need your help they need uh, all the support you can give them either in person or online they're great to deal with take another break let the national guys pay the bills for the folks listening we'll be right back on the beat podcast inside carolina.com all right boys we're back it is the on the beat podcast it is live on youtube as i speak questions are rolling in gregory hall's man in the the wheels of the questions. Greg Barnes is here and Luke Buxton. Let's get into some of these questions. Um, and um, here's go- a good one. Yeah, you Keyshawn. go ahead because I'm trying. <laughs> go ahead. This is, pretty, this is pretty funny. This made me laugh. Is Keyshawn Silver still considering suiting up for Roy? Because <laughs> he I, did get, the, you know, the picture where he, he's got the uh, UNC and football jersey on. And now who knows what's going to unfold over the next couple weeks. <laughs> Roy might need him more than Mac does. <laughs> I, look, if if he can play, it's a big body. He'll have a spot. Uh, I mean, he might not have any bigs left, so he may need him. Well, that that guy named Pep did all right. Um, yep. You know, switching over there, I still think he could have played in the NBA without question. I mean, Keyshawn's listed at six five and a half, two eighty nine. I mean, that's Bonzi a Cole. that's a Zion Bonzi. Williamson type body right there. No, that's the Bonzi Notre Dame. BJ Anya. BJ Bonzi, that's that's a Bonzi body right there. I haven't heard BJ Anya's name thrown around in ACC talk in a while. Well, the reason I thought of his name is the kid for Loyola Chicago, the dude with the mustache. My son said, Crowig. Yeah, he was like, This is BJ Anya, he's killing him. (laughs) All right, let's look at call out some questions here, uh, Gregory. We got uh. Great. Uh, this is for Greg Barnes. What offensive analysis position did Natron get hired into, Greg? And I would tell folks that go to Inside Carolina YouTube channel that you're on now, and Natron's interview is there. But Greg, tell us more about that hire. Well, it's really a, a, a true offensive analyst position in terms of it's not just a specific position where he's helping out. He, he's really doing everything. And I, I think uh, he interviewed 
he went through the process. He interviewed for the, the running back position, even though Larry Porter was ultimately the only person that, that Mac ever offered. And that was the guy from day one that he wanted. Uh, but I think it really kind of set things in motion for, for Natron. They have the opportunity to take the next step to a power five level. Uh, and with his ties to, to Mac and uh, the program, this is really going to be an opportunity where he can go through day to day stuff and do all the same things that the rest of the coaches do. And that's going to be very beneficial. Now, can't recruit, can't actually coach on the practice field. But beyond that, he can evaluate film, he can grade tape, he can do all those different things, he can talk to the players, encourage them. So I really think this is an opportunity for him to give back to the program, to help Mac out, but also to, to kind of learn what Power 5 football is about, do it you know, underneath a coach like Mac Brown, of course, Hall of Famer, national champion. Um, and so it's not going to be very structured in terms of uh, you know, maybe just running backs. I think he's going to be able to help across the board in, in different ways. So a little bit different setup, and you know, Mac can kind of do what he wants to do in, in structuring these deals, and I think it's going to be beneficial for everybody. It's interesting. Natron was at Carolina when I was there. I, I still remember watching the Mac Brown show um, and I probably told this story when he breaks a thousand yards against Duke, he runs over to the fence to all of us back when the track was still at Keenan stadium and we're slapping him on the head and congratulating him all that. And Max says, look at all the kids. They come out of the stands to congratulate Natron. You got to love that. So, uh, Mac, we were students, man. They didn't put the students in the end zone back then. We sat wherever we could find the spot. So, uh, fun times, Gregory Hall, bring me a question, my man. Put you um, on the spot. I got one. Oh, well, pff, why are you even asking me that? Go ahead. You're slow on the draw, man. Pull- All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you guys think – That's what I was going to pick. Okay. Do you guys think that Carolina will struggle with athletic quarterback scrambling or are there the athletes now on D to no longer worry about it? Does a guy like Burmeister worry you at all? Um, I would say Burmeister, no. Because if Burmeister would have never played against Carolina last year, Virginia Tech possibly could have won that ball game. Luke, I'll go to you on that question. And does Carolina finally have the athletes on the defensive side to contain those quarterbacks that have given them fits? I mean, I think De'Eric King might say yes to that question. Yeah, I mean, there's no answer. I think the biggest thing is is not as much the athletes as more as the depth. Um, that's that's the main thing that that Mac has been talking about is come fourth quarter we we can't keep up because we have no legs. Um, I think a lot of the times if we you know Carolina can have a continued rotation, it's not going to be as much about can they play, which they can. You know, Eugene Asante, Kimmel. Um, you know, you look down the line with Gray, Eccles, Ra Ra. We're going to start having some linebackers now who have already had the talent, but now are they going to be fresh enough to chase after those guys? Burmeister, I don't know why that was the example. I think he had like 50 yards. Um, he doesn't worry me. Um, King, you're always going to have athletes, and it's going to be part of the, the scheme that Bateman, Bateman runs. But I think it's going to be better this year as you, as you continue the depth um, and continue adding depth onto the roster. And I think the development that we saw at the end of last year with guys like Jacarius Conley can really help containing those type of quarterbacks because he was all over the field against yeah. Miami and Texas A&M. And that's a dude that you can set up in the nickel um, and be confident that you can guard both the pass and the scramble with guys like Conley um, and then a healthy storm duck and guys on the edge and your corners and your secondary 
um, to prevent the quarterback. Because if he gets outside of the pocket, then you're kind of relying on Gimmel or Asante to get there, which they're capable of. But if you don't have athletes outside of that, that can prevent him from getting the edge, then that's where UNC gets hurt a lot. And I think a guy like Conley can, can help for sure. Containing those guys. I mean, it still can be an issue, but I mean, Conley's a beast. So. I was going to say, Conley's a piece. I, I forgot to mention him. Everyone gives Grimes all the attention, which is deservingly yeah. so. But I think Conley could be one of the best players in the nation come junior year. So I think talent certainly helps. Um, but Ian Book, I was just looking it up. He averaged 4.8 yards per carry uh, on 14 rushes against Clemson last year in the regular season when they won. And Clemson had one of the best defenses in the country, some of the most talented players in the country. The challenge with running quarterbacks is that you can only you, you can only account for so many guys. Um, and so when you're having to account for a, a running quarterback who can be elusive, that presents a lot of problems because defenses are not really schemed that way. And what North Carolina did in the Notre Dame game is you have one of the best athletes in the country, and, and Chas Surratt uh, really did like a spy job on, on Book. But we, we know how good Ian was in that game against Carolina. I mean, he was a stud. And there's going to be talented guys at quarterback who can wreak havoc on anybody. I don't care how good you are. We've seen Alabama have troubles over the years. It's really more about discipline. Do you want to play? It's, it's the whole Roy Williams thing, right? You want talent. You also want experience. You want experienced talent. And so you want talented guys that understand scheme and that don't get out of position and don't get out of their gaps and don't get uh, aggressive. You know, don't get ahead of their skis, if you will. And that I think that more than anything. So, yes, the depth matters because you don't have to put guys out there that are tired. And when you're fatigued, sometimes you make some poor decisions mentally. That's part of it. Uh, so the depth helps there. More talent certainly helps. But you have to acknowledge there's going to be guys that just do a really good job at quarterback and are going to make some plays. And you got to tip your hat to them. Now, when you talk about lesser talented guys that have given UNC problems in the past, that should be pared down a little bit because they're not going to be able to outrun and get to the edge uh, like some of these guys have in the past. But the, the best of the best in the conference and nationwide, those quarterbacks are going to pose problems for everybody. Yeah, and to the depth part of it, I think that's key as well because watching Carolina against Texas A&M and TV doesn't really do it justice. And Greg, you know that from covering all these games, you can really see when you're there in person and you're not looking at the ball per se, but you can see when guys are gassed. And against Notre Dame and against Texas A&M, there were guys that were just flat out gassed in the defensive backfield especially not only the defensive line, but back there, that they couldn't get to them. I mean, they just couldn't get to Mond or couldn't get to the other guys out there. And so – and there's a reason that athletic quarterbacks are um, such a high commodity because they pose problems. And I think, um, to Greg's point there, that the lesser guys that have given Carolina trouble, um, that will be reduced a lot. And then when Carolina's on its game, like De'Eric King saw – uh, you know, when guys are doing what they're supposed to do, they, they can really work over teams like that. But it, there's a reason those guys are prized. And uh, there's a reason Sam Howell talks about wanting to get more mobile and wanting to get um, to be able to run more because it's difficult to deal with. 
Um, let's look let, at. Go well, ahead. Let me ask. Let me ask you guys this: When we're talking about fourth quarter stuff, um, because obviously depth plays a role, but we know the praises that the strength staff gets with Brian Hess and how great that he kind of gets those guys in shape to buy in the competition, the weight rooms. We know all about that. Max mentioned multiple times how fit his team is when it comes to that, but then we still see them gas in the fourth quarter. How much Mac mentioned today, because obviously the expectations are high, right? They've been high. We mentioned earlier in this podcast that this year was everyone, everything was working towards this year and the cycle with Mac Brown coming back. How much do you guys think that fourth quarter with players being gassed was them overplaying because they felt like they had to, to get to where they are. Whereas now Mac mentioned that he sees these guys finally recognizing that there's an opportunity to be at a national level. How much do you think that will play in at all about like, they feel like they belong. So they might not overplay per se. Do you think it has anything to do with four quarter gassing against teams like Notre Dame? Are you talking about individual players like, gassing themselves out or guys playing too many reps individual players thinking that they have to do more than like being like look this is where we want to be but not feeling like they're there yet so they're working harder than they need to be to play at that level even though that might be their base talent level does that make sense yeah i mean i i guess and maybe my answer will tell you if i get your question i, I mean when you have guys with similar talent that play together and there's enough of them, then they can do their jobs and everybody can be successful. When you have lesser guys that you have to take up for, then you run into issues where guys are trying to do too much to your mm -hmm. point. The Hess and all those guys can do wonderful jobs, but there's only so much the human body can take. Right. Sure. And I think we saw at times, even last year, and Greg, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this comment, is that guys play too many snaps. You know, Surratt and Gimmel at times played too many snaps, but there was no other option. And I think as you get um, – and that's not saying anything about strength and conditioning. Strength and conditioning is amazing. But as you get more and more guys that are of like ability, like Max said, he wants to be able to play a two deep that nobody – there's no drop-off. Mike Clemson's done for years across the defensive line. I think that's when you start seeing the eliteness come out or the elite level moving up to the elite level. Whereas when you have a couple elite guys trying to do too much, you get into trouble, I think. Anyway, does that make sense, Greg? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's pretty simple, though. Um, I think it's really a matter of if you look at what North Carolina has done in the fourth quarter last two years against most teams, they've been pretty good. It's just when you talk about the big-time games against A&M and Notre Dame where the teams that had more talent and that had more depth really were able to, to reach another level in the fourth quarter. And Carolina just had no answer. They, they really got smacked in the fourth quarter of both of those games. Um, and I, I think that comes with experience. That comes with depth. Um, you know, and it's really the, the iron sharpens iron nail, right? The, the more elite talent that you get that comes in and they start competing against one another, that makes them better. And I think we will see that as, as the years go by. The fact that Sam Howell is so good in the fourth quarter, I mean, that's a great luxury to have. A lot of quarterbacks aren't like that. And so he can make up for a lot of miscues. 
Um, but there was such an avalanche in the fourth quarter, specifically you know, A&M, but Notre Dame kind of did the same thing, where they, they just overpowered North Carolina. And I don't think that it's the strength and conditioning deal. I think it's just youth and inexperience and a lack of depth. Yep, and and trust plays a part of it too, right? So if I trust yeah. my guy over there is going to make the play, then I don't have to do, I don't have to go out of my lane, Gregory. If I trust that you're going to that you're going to handle it and all that yeah. stuff, and you that's can, the best answer that to my question there, talking about what I was saying with overplaying is one guy feels like he has to do more because he might not trust that that that's the best answer to my question. So. Nice job. Yeah, let's. Uh, this old guy knows a little bit, and Greg, you know, <laughs> I just piggyback off Greg, and you can't go wrong there. <laughs> if you listen to enough Greg Barnes podcasts, you can answer pretty much any question. I feel like yeah, that's my strategy. Just say something kind of similar to Greg. <laughs> yeah, when he asks you a question, just repeat the question and then say yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, turn, let's turn this to basketball a little bit. Um, obviously, uh, plenty to talk about. Um, you know, and a lot of people have asked me, um, what is going on? And, you know, we really don't know. But as I said before this podcast started, when we were live, if you haven't listened to Greg Ross and Sherelle from last night, you need to go back and check it out. Um, you know, there's constant updates and, and all those type things. But that that is the uh, the be all end all podcast on what's going on with Carolina basketball now, as far as the the issues that are going on now the news that will continue to break as we get deeper into the week is another matter and I want to ask Greg Barnes that and Greg I don't mean to put you on the spot because we don't ultimately know but I'll freely admit I was shocked we haven't heard any more news today um I I knew that we were going to hear at least one or two more shoes drop one way or another and it just didn't happen any any reasoning why maybe it didn't no, and we were kind of expecting the same thing. Um, but I think what everybody needs to understand is that Roy Williams, because the season just ended, uh, he is going through the uh, postseason you know, exit interview process as quickly as he can. But there are still a lot of conversations to be had. And so while he wants to get through it, number one, so that he understands what he's going to be working with moving forward as the transfer portal opens up and in terms of looking at you know the senior class what uh, options remain even if he wants to bring somebody else in from the high school ranks to be able to get a better handle on that but also to for the guys to kind of understand like hey I had these questions uh what what answer do you have for me do I need to leave do I need to stay all these kind of things and a lot of these are pretty normal conversations I know it, it seems like the program is shaking right now I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I think there's just a lot of different components that come into this. And as you said, Tommy, we really kind of jumped into that um, on, on the podcast the other night. But all that to be said, there, there are still meetings to be had uh, in the coming days. I do think there's going to be more information to come out. But I think the, the good news is, <laughs> if there's good news in terms of a silver lining, is that uh, we should know kind of what the makeup of this roster is uh, very soon you know, maybe in the next week or so. We have a really good idea of how this is going to be looking moving forward, and therefore you know what pieces are going to have to be added. Uh, that's not a guarantee, but as soon as Roy gets done with all of his exit interviews, I think we'll have a pretty good idea of where everybody stands. Luke Bucks, and I'll, I'll turn, turn to you. I've got a question on Twitter that I want to ask the group, but I'll save it towards the end. Uh, um, 
Luke, I mean, you've been around a lot of these guys. Um, you've, you've been around campus and all. You, you know, it's just the one thing, and we mentioned it on Inside Carolina Live, both with Greg and with Sherelle on Saturday. Um, so I'm interested, you know, a lot of folks have said this, is that the Chapel Hill that we know, that, that all of us know, has been nothing like the Chapel Hill that any of these, especially the freshmen, have known over the last 12 months. Um, it, it's just not the same thing. So when you sort of take that lens off, none of this stuff's really surprising to me. But go ahead, Luke. Yeah, to, you know, comment on what you just said. I think that's right. I think that's something people need to, you know, keep in mind before, you know, you hit the panic button. There's no pickup games with pros. There's no, you know, UNC late night parties the freshmen go to. There's no fans in the Dean Dome waiting out waiting in line for four hours just so they can sit close and watch you play. And like those things come with the UNC freshman experience is why the UNC program has been so solid and steady for so long is because you get those great experiences as a freshman. And when you, you know, take that away and you don't have those quality interactions with your coach, because, you know, COVID kind of alters some of those experiences you get to have. You don't get to maybe play with some of the players that you normally get to have. You don't get to interact with the student body. It definitely hinders your experience. And then you have this now one-time transfer rule. It's kind of going to look like the wild west. I think coach K mentioned that couple other media members and have commented that as well I think we're going to kind of see this this shake up in college basketball because when you have this COVID experience you get this rule you have a losing locker room you know your emotions are all over the place for a lot of different reasons I don't think it's time for people to totally think Carolina basketball programs and the state of disarray I think it's going to happen to a lot more programs than just Carolina Uh, the other things I'd like to say are I think there's been a little bit of a recruiting mismatch over the years with Carolina basketball. I think Roy really likes, you know, the guys who are here for two or three years, learn the system. You know, he knows basketball more than almost anybody and coached the game. I think Carolina fans need to remember that. He's a Hall of Famer, first to nine, fastest to 900 wins, three championships under his belt at Carolina. He knows the game well. And I think we've started to see this era of kind of players like, Cole Anthony, Caleb Love, um, Armando, who are kind of just like new wave and new generation of players who are coming from kind of like iso ball matchup. Walker Kessler is like wants to model his game off like the Giannis's, the Brzingis's, the Jokic, stretch five who can shoot the three. And Roy Williams is very stubborn about how he knows the game and how he wants to play the game. I think there's just a little bit of miscommunication on what Caleb Love and Walker and Armando wanted out of their college experience versus what Roy wants his program to look like. And Roy doesn't budge. We know Roy doesn't budge. And I think we're starting to see guys like this who also don't really want to budge. And if they're not going to get exactly what they want, maybe they take their talents to a new place. I think that's what's happening with Kessler. I think we'll see that with Baycott. I think Baycott will test the NBA waters, see like what he needs to improve on. Maybe he needs to develop more of an outside shot. You know, maybe he needs to – be a little bit more um, hands-on with the basketball in terms of in terms of dribbling or whatnot. He'll get that feedback. He'll come back. I don't think Roy's going to want to play that system. And then maybe, like, we'll see a lot of big shakeups. I think that just when you get down to it, it's not blame Roy. It's not blame the players. I think it's just sometimes there's an imbalance of wants and needs, and uh, we're, we're seeing that little play out with Carolina. Not in a place of panic. It's just kind of maybe a little 
bad matchups. So it will be interesting to see how it plays out and what Roy does and, and what the program looks like. You know, we may see a lot of players come out. We may see a lot of players come in. And it may be a lot of different programs. I don't think it's just going to be Carolina at the end of the day. No, I, I definitely don't think it'll be Carolina. You know, I, they're, you know I'm watching – and this is not the one transfer rule at, at play, but I'm watching Michigan last night and they keep talking about Sean D Brown. And I'm like, is that the guy that played at Wake Forest? <laughs> you know, and he's killing it for Michigan and he's a, go ahead. Speaking of Wake Forest, I mean, I'm watching Connor O'Neill tweet a different player entering the Porter every, every, like every hour. I feel like at this point, Wake Forest is another ACC program. They had max exodus last year with the coaching change. And that's, doesn't look like that has changed at all. So it's not just UNC, obviously. The one thing that I, I'll ask you, Greg, and and it's probably more a Sherelle question, but to Luke's point, everybody knew, everybody knows what Roy Williams does, you know. So were guys that are that were coming in, and we can talk about what was promised or what was said on recruiting visits, whatever. Everybody knows what Roy Williams does. I mean, he will freely admit Roy Williams is Roy Williams. My question is, why did anybody expect it to be any different from that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and I, I think that kind of goes to parents and that goes to um, outside forces, whether it be AAU coaches or high school coaches or, or whatever it may be. Um, so – there's not going to be a situation where there's a Porzingis or a Giannis situation uh, in Chapel Hill. Uh, one, because it's not Roy system. Two, because there's not really players like that. Um, and I, I think it's a situation where Kessler, that may be where he wants to get to. And uh, maybe they thought, and you're right, it's a Sherelle question, so I'm just speculating here but maybe they thought that Roy would kind of work him in that direction. Um, but it's not like Luke May was some different, unique player in terms of how Roy schemed him. It just happened to be that Luke May was a fantastic rebounder who could step outside and knock down shots. And that was just kind of his stretch for skill set. And he was also 6'8". Right, right. He's not 7'1". <laughs> But I mean, he had to get outside to get shots up because, yeah, no, you're exactly right. And the, the interesting thing with this year is what did we talk about all year long? Like when North Carolina was at its best was when they were pounding the ball inside. And when they did that successfully, they won games and they had really strong stretches. Um, so I don't think anything with what happened in the post this year was problematic. Like for Armando Baycott, I mean, that's exactly what he wanted to do. Now, for Baycott, uh, if he'd have been more consistent, I mean, he what we saw him do over the final you know, five or six games was what Roy thought he could do all along. He just wasn't consistent enough to do it. And what Sharp did all year long, that's kind of what the expectation was for him. Um, and so it is a unique situation with Kessler because you've got guys who are excelling – you know, we can talk about the minutes situation, but who are excelling when they're given the opportunity. Kessler, you know, his development was slow because of the contact tracing issues early in the year. Um, you know, the, I mentioned the other night, the Syracuse game on March 1st, like he played like 10 minutes in that game. And if you go back and watch it, he probably shouldn't have played 10 minutes. 
because he just didn't know what to do. And that's fine. I mean, that's what a freshman does. So his situation, I think, is a little bit odd. And I, I get it that they didn't think he was being utilized or being prepared the way they want him to be prepared. I just think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of all right, who's going to say this guy is going to be a legitimate seven footer who's going to shoot a bunch of threes or outside shots. I'm sure somebody will say, okay, well, I'll, I'll do that for you. Uh, but that's not going to work within Roy Williams system if the player's not already at that point. And so it is, I mean, to Luke's point, it's, it's the way these pieces fit in together. Um, but given Roy Williams' track record with big guys, you, it's kind of hard to say, well, Roy doesn't know what he's doing with bigs because if anybody does, it's been Roy over the years. Well, I think to that point, and this is something, is Roy has had very successful bigs on the college level. And now, and I'm sitting here and I've got the Pelicans and the Lakers on, which Pelicans are killing the Lakers, is that bigs don't play that way. I mean, they don't do that in the pros. And these guys, um, while Baycott is fantastic in the paint, Baycott's not going to do that in the pros if he gets there. And that's the issue that all these guys see. And it's not – I don't think – I can't blame the kid. I mean, it's, it's what you want to get. If Baycott stayed at Carolina the way they worked through, he'd be an All-American. Would he be an NBA guy? I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that question. Right. I mean, Tyler Hansborough is one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. And what did he do in the NBA? Right. I mean, which times have changed and we've talked about that. And um, I was reading kind of Brendan Marks's explanation on the athletic of other programs like Gonzaga, like even Virginia who have molded a little bit to kind of showcase NBA talents and that's what these guys are looking for. And I know Kessler's looking at Gonzaga and Kentucky as two places that he might want to go to. So if that's what's drawing a guy like Walker Kessler away, and if Roy can realize, I don't know if realize is the right word, but because he knows what's going on, right? Roy's, Roy's not dumb. He's had these meetings. We're not in there with these meetings. Um, but if, if that can change, if that's all it takes, then I don't know if, like, if that's why Walker's leaving. If there's other stuff involved um, outside of just him wanting to be on an NBA type system, then I feel like that's not that as stubborn as Roy might be with his system. I feel like, I don't know if those are the places that Walker's looking at. Uh, am I that, am I off base, Craig? No, but here's the thing about the spectrum. You have Roy who, who's you know, stubborn to a fault, but his system works on the complete other side. You have John Calipari. And regardless of what you think of Calipari, he has been very open and saying, look, guys, if you're elite high school talent, come to Kentucky. We're going to get you ready for the NBA level. Like, that's all we're doing. Like, this is all about the kids, right? We're not worried about winning. We're about preparing these kids for the NBA. And if we happen to win games, then that's a plus plus, right? And he proved that this year. Yeah. When yeah. they won, what, nine games? And they've, he's won one national championship. And Roy's won three. So as a fan base, and this is a question for, for all the listeners, as a fan base, are you trying to win at the college level? Or are you trying to get guys to the NBA to make the program look good? And I understand there's some overlap there because you need that for recruiting purposes. But what's your goal here? Is your goal to win at the college level? I would assume 
I mean, that was all Dean Smith was about, was, was taking advantage of academics, taking advantage of uh, the system, the Carolina family, all those things. That is a college-oriented deal. And if that's what is important to you, then Roy has a system in place for that. Now, I'm not saying that he shouldn't adjust and evolve, uh, but I think those are the conversations you have to have because when you start talking about, hey, he needs to be more NBA-friendly, well, John Calipari is far and away above anybody else the NBA-friendly destination, and it hasn't worked out that well for him either. Yeah, I, I think it's just kind of also this new generation of players, right? They're getting highlight tapes made when they're 14 years old. They're all in the press. It's all about the league. And it's like, what do you – if Roy's going to go after Caleb Love, he's going to go after Cole Anthony, Dayron. He knows that he wants these players. And he knows when they're coming to meetings and they're in the recruiting trail, he knows their goals. He knows they want to get in the league. I'm just confused – why is it those players we're putting in the system? Because I don't think you can have both. I don't think we can have players who are going to work well in Roy's system, who are going to win a championship and not want to get to the – like, you know what I mean? It's like it's an imbalance of, of goals. It, it, players who want to get to the league after year one is not how Roy Williams has won his championships. So if Roy – and I think everyone can agree, as a UNC fan base, you want to win championships probably over getting guys to the league if it has to be – um, black and white. If you have to choose a Roy, three championships, not as great NBA development versus Calipari. I think every UNC fan will choose those. But you can't go after the same guys Calipari goes after if you want that. And you have to have talent enough. But look at Syracuse, like Buddy Beheim or uh, um, Champagny for, for Pittsburgh. There are people out there who we could find who I think could fill Roy's system. It's just going after five stars all the time and then expecting them – to learn the system, stay three or four years, have not great freshman, sophomore years, and not get to the league, I think you just can't have both. So we're kind of at this precipice of what are we going to do? Is it going to be are we going to transition to the new system and, and you know, be like Alabama and Nate Oates and shoot threes and kind of change the way that, you know, how, how Steph's changed the game and how we've seen, you know, fives and fours in the NBA stepping out and shooting threes. Is Roy going to take that direction? And recruit those guys, or is he going to stay with his mindset, his his program, his plan, and recruit different? I think you can have both. And what direction they going to take? Yeah, and Tommy, next time you have Sherell on, I think this is the question to ask. And I think this looks makes some good points there. Uh, Roy's never been after the one and done. Now he's recruited those guys, but like Marvin Williams, for example, Marvin wasn't intent on going pro after his first year. Roy basically had to kick him out the door. I think while we focus so much on the elite level guys, the, the one and dones, I think where some of the evaluation misses have occurred is the top 50 guys, maybe mm -hmm. the 30 or 40 to 50, 60 range. Um, that's where Marcus page was. There's a lot of really good players in that range. And I think for whatever reason, North Carolina has missed in that range in recent years, because you're right. You, when you get a guy like Kobe or Nasir, Great players, and those were both Carolina guys, but Nasir was gone after one year. Everybody knew that. Kobe was a different story because he really exploded once he got on campus. He had to go. Um, but if you're you can't have all those guys that want to go pro after the first year. You've got to have guys who maybe they can explode and go pro early, but aren't going to be the elites of the elites, but you can build a program with that. And I think that's been an area where, where they've missed. One other point, 
uh, we're talking about kind of promises made. Uh, I haven't had conversations with the Kessler family, so I don't know exactly what was said. I will say that's happened one time that I know of in the Roy Williams era, and that was John Henson. Because John Henson wanted to play on the wing. And so Roy allowed him freshman year to play on the wing. And if you want to go back the 2009-2010 season and watch John Henson highlights, you understand why he was immediately relegated to the post his sophomore year because it did not work out. Um, yeah, he was terrible as a as oh a yeah, yeah and, horrible and and because Kevin Durant point, he wanted to be Kevin Durant yeah and to further he almost that came point, to Carolina would have he cried when he didn't get in. <laughs> <laughs> John Henson's made a paycheck in the league for for quite a few years. I mean, that's the thing about it is to me is, you know, you come into college, you learn how to play. You learn the fundamentals, whatever, and then you get better, and then you progress, and then you go make money. I mean, I know Michael Jordan was years ago, and Michael Jordan's a different animal, but he always talks about how he learned how to play the game in college under Dean Smith, and that he never would have been the guy had he not played under Dean Smith. I get that Roy is not Dean and vice versa, but it's interesting to me that these guys think they can get to the league doing certain things it's just like the flash in the pan, the burn bright and then burn out and then you're gone, which leads me to my question. And, and this is for all of us. And this is Horace on Twitter. Can Roy Williams do what Nick Saban did and tweak his schematic approach while keeping his core principles in place? It really feels like a similar situation that's paid huge dividends for Alabama football. Greg, go first. Uh. Yes. However, I think we get so stuck on the idea of two traditional bigs that we, we lose sight of why he does that. It's not just to have two bigs out there. It's for rebounding. Uh, his entire philosophy is on rebounding, that you get an opportunity, I get an opportunity, and we go back and forth. And if that plays out, we're going to have the exact same number of possessions. But if I can prevent you from getting offensive rebounds – while getting extra possessions off of offensive rebounds, now all of a sudden I've, I've tipped this scale in my favor because I'm getting more possessions than you. And as long as we shoot about the same percentage, I'm going to beat you. That's what it's all about. And so has he been willing to go small in the past? Yes, he has. But every time he does it, his primary concern is, and he says this, well, if we're going small, then we got to be able to rebound. And so that's really what it comes down to. I mean, and Luke May, as we said, was a fantastic rebounder. And he really was a kind of a wing guy. He was a, a stretch four. Um, but it worked because he could rebound. And I think that's, that's a unique dynamic here. It's not just that he wants to be two bigs. There's a purpose behind it. I don't think he's going to budge off that. Now, if you can find somebody who can play on the wing and knock down threes, fine. Uh, but again, you know, I don't think the, the interior is the issue. I think it's more that this team couldn't shoot. And last year's team couldn't shoot beyond Cole. And if you can shoot from outside, you can do about whatever you want inside. Um, and so there's a lot of different things in play here. He's proven that he can be a little bit flexible, but he's not getting away from those core principles no matter what. And 
I know there's plenty of UNC examples of offensive rebounding and how it benefits UNC and all that, but the, in the March Madness, for example, I mean, the numbers with Abilene Christian versus Texas are insane. Abilene Christian shot 29.9% from the floor, but they attempted 27 more shots than Texas and they won the game, right? Like Abilene Christian did not play better offensively than Texas outside of not turning the ball over and outside of offensive rebounding and they won. But anyway, to your point about Roy not moving on from, Oh no, sorry. Ad. Um, stupid ESPN. You can't hear it. They heard it. Um, with Roy not changing the two traditional bigs, how much would the pick and roll ruin his system? Because all the talk on Twitter and we know how great a passer Dayron Sharp is, and we've seen the high low and even Walker. If Roy adopted the pick and roll more, which is what used in the NBA all the time, would that be the scenario of Nick Saban changing his scheme without ruining core principles? Do you, like, because to me, it seems like it would, if you could just add a little more spacing, obviously you need shooters to do that, but with Kerwin and maybe RJ stepping up with shooting the ball, I just feel like when you don't run the pick and roll with two traditional bigs, that lane is so clogged, especially when you have defenses that know there's going to be two guys on either side of the low post. So we're going to put two guys and sometimes we're going to put a third guy. So now you have five players in the post with Caleb love who wants to drive. And how many times have we seen Caleb drive, drive into the post and not have the wherewithal to realize, Oh crap. I'm running into a brick wall here. So like to me, to answer your question, Tommy of the Nick Saban, whatever Nick Saban, I don't know why they had to bring up Nick Saban. Because he would get killed by athletic quarterbacks and the spread and he hated it and he changed his game. But if you just throw in the pick and roll to my point, I just think that is somewhere where you can adapt without ruining core principles and creating space. And is that crazy? Because I, why like, the pick and roll is what's brought up of all the time with that's the NBA game and Roy doesn't do it. And he had Cole Anthony who runs the pick and roll masterfully in the pros. But anyway. I mean, he does it with Orlando and it's yeah. beautiful. Go Luke, ahead, Greg. I, Luke, I'm going to give this to you, but I just want to make this one, one point. Yes. The fact that North Carolina has an additional big in the post does clog things up. There's no doubt about it. People need to realize though, that Roy Williams is a little bit, uh, he was a little bit of a trendsetter at the college game because he runs freelance probably 75% of the time Uh, for a long time. Coaches called plays all the time up and down the court. And he really hasn't. And the reason why is he's been like, look guys, I've got guys that can shoot guys that can't shoot guys that are better drivers than there are shooters. Um, We're going to give them opportunities that to showcase their skill set. And so they, they learn how to screen. They learn how to make cuts. They learn how to, you pass the ball in certain ways, but they're not, for the most part, you get your box sets and some of those, for the most part, they're running a freelance style offense, which means the guys don't have a set play that they're running. They're trying to create for their teammates and for themselves. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty progressive idea, or at least it was you know, 20, 30 years ago for the college game. Uh, that's more of an NBA type style. Now, to your point, it doesn't include uh, the pick and roll that that you know, some teams use so well is also not a reliance on the three point shot. He allows guys to take those eighteen footers, which 
I think we can all agree is an antiquated part of the I game. Hate I hate that. Um, but so go ahead, Luke. I'm sorry to jump in ahead of you. No, I think you guys have all made some really good points. I think the biggest thing I think Roy Williams should change, and I think he would be open to it, and I think it would help him a lot, is three-point shooters. I mean, the game has changed. Like, it is so valuable to have a team who can knock down shots. You look at the top 20 three-point field goal percentage teams. You got Baylor, Colgate, who gave Arkansas a run for their money, Iowa, Michigan, Oral Roberts, Oregon, Florida State, a lot of teams that are still playing in March. I think it is so crucial to have teams that can hit from outside. Curran Walton totally changed the direction of the season by the threat of his three-point shot. When you got guys who can't hit from outside and then you have big men clogging up the lane because you can't drive, can't get those kind of looks, and then you're shooting these 18-footers and, you know, a, a bad shooting team with one of the least effective shots in basketball doesn't work. I think Roy really needs – I think Leaky Black is a, looks like an All-American if you're surrounded by three, four shooters. If he has guys who can penetrate and kick out to and they knock down shots, he looks so much better. But when you can have guys who can't hit those uh, open shots or, you know, step-back contested shots, it's really tough. Carolina's best teams, look at 9 Danny Green and Wayne Nellington. They'll hit, you know, uh, 17 with um, Joel Berry could hit. Um, you had, you know, Kenny Williams in the past, Cam Johnson, Luke May could hit. UNC plays best when they have guys who can hit from outside. So I think Roy Williams really needs to start recruiting stretch fours. Don't have two big guys like Armando, Dayron, Kessler, and Garrison who can't hit a shot outside 10 feet. And also add in more shooters. Kerwin Walton's the best thing to have into this team all year. Why can't we find three more Kerwin Waltons, put them all on the floor? Iowa is – I mean, obviously they lost to Oregon, but Oregon's not a good three-point shooting team. You can't hang when you guys have guys who can just knock down shots. And I think Roy Williams really needs to adopt that model. Greg mentioned on an earlier podcast, he plays inside out. I think it's about start time. You're looking at, you know, the same teams that killed Carolina because we can't stop their three-pointer. Brad Davidson is a great example. Why doesn't Carolina adopt the same model? Well, I think that goes to what Greg mentioned, and, and we can sort, sort of start wrapping this up, is the recruiting misses in, from the 30 to the 150 range, if we want to go that deep, and this is another rail deal. But you've got all these teams that are left playing. They have guys that were ranked 30 to 100 that are killing it in their systems, or, or they've – um, been able to play and produce and all that. I mean, it is fascinating to watch somebody like Davison for, for Wisconsin that did nothing against uh, Baylor when they locked him up, goes for 29 against Carolina. I mean, Carolina needs to find Roy Williams and his staff need to be able to cultivate that because to your point, Luke, these high-level guys, the Loves, the Kesslers and those guys, they're not looking to fit in any system. They're looking to go to the next level. And, and I think ultimately Roy Williams needs to get back to that. And so that begs the question, Greg, and this is something I did want to ask you um, when we're talking about this transfer portal. They're clearly going to have to hit the transfer portal hard. Um, my question to you is where do you think they'll hit it? Will it be traditional transfers? Will it be grad transfers? How does it, Carolina admissions play into all this? And the continuity, where is the continuity? I mean, if you get a bunch of grad transfers, well, then you can't build continuity. But if I get 
some freshmen and sophomore transfers, then I can start building back my experienced teams that Roy's had success with. I mean, there's so many variables there. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that the, the transfers that Roy has brought in have all been grad transfers, uh, Justin Knox, uh, Cam Johnson, and then the two guys last year, Pierce and uh, Keeling, all grad transfers. And there's a reason for that because those guys are pretty easy to get in. Uh, the issue for both football and basketball at UNC is you've had those issues uh, with the academic requirements being a little bit higher for transfers. Now they've addressed that a little bit in recent years, um, but that for both sides, that's going to be a big thing this all season, especially with the one-time transfer rule. Um, so those are things that Roy is going to have to navigate. And I, I think you're right. I don't think he's going to have an issue bringing in transfers um, as long as there's a couple years there where they can work into the system. Um, and I think there's no, no question they're going to have to be aggressive. And I think they realize that they're going to need to be proactive. Um, I did want to say with, with Luke's point there, uh, I, I do believe that youth, we've seen it play out over the years uh, for freshmen. It really does affect their shooting. And the unique thing about Kerwin Walton was that he was so good so early because that's normally not the case. There's so many guys we can go back just in the last 10 years and say, hey, Marcus Page is the ideal one, right? This was not a good shooter freshman year. And like, God, is this guy really going to be able to score for this team? And he was All-American the second year. Something just clicks. And so when you look at guys like you know, uh, Puff and RJ and Kerwin coming back next year, well, now you're talking. Now you've got guys that if they just take a step up, uh, they're going to be really good shooters. And so I think there's some candidates there. Um, Caleb's, he can get better for sure. Uh, just a volume score. So I think his mindset would have to change a little bit. Um, but no doubt, I really, you know, this is me just kind of spitballing. But if I'm looking at what North Carolina would need from the, the transfer portal, probably going to be another big, whether it's a stretch four or not, it's a big, and maybe a point guard. Not saying that Caleb Love is leaving or anything, but I think Caleb would be better off the ball. Um, I think that was an experiment that was really difficult for everybody involved, and that that led to a lot of the problems that UNC had this year. So if you could bring in a point guard and bring in another forward, now you're talking, now you're in business, because I do think those younger guys on the wing will be able to step up and and make more of those three-point shots. Because um, as, as Luke said, some of North Carolina's best teams over the years have been three-point shooters. So it's not like Roy doesn't try to recruit them. He's just missed on some of his evaluations in recent years for whatever reason. If you bring in another point guard, though, after Caleb spent the whole season learning how to play point, you're looking at four starting point guards in four years. Are we forgetting R.J. Davis? You bring in another point guard. What's R.J. Davis thinking? That, too. I, I don't I don't I don't know. I just I think the focus needs to be shooters where seven of the teams in the sweet 16. So who's your th- point guard right now? I mean, it has to be Caleb. I think you have to stick with Caleb. He had one of the least efficient seasons for a high major starter in so like 30 like, years as a shooter. Like and you, but like as a shooter and you're saying you want to put him in a more of a shooting role. I think nope. Caleb's gone. I'd be surprised if he stayed. Put him, well, put him more too. off the ball where he can do more things and, and not have to create his own shot as much. I think he would he would do a better job there. Do you think he was a 
you think he showed potential to be a high level point guard in the framework of what Roy Williams wants? If he doesn't pull up for 15 footers in transition, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I, I agree with you and I disagree with you because I, I think that's fair. As far as Caleb, if you look at it at an individual standpoint, as far as Caleb Love coming in, if he was off the ball and not trying to be the point guard this year, then fine. And then he's developing and he's doing what I just you're moving you're moving him out of a position that he spent all year learning. I think that's not wasting, but I think it's battling what you've been trying to do. And then you've got a fourth starting point guard in four years. I don't know. I think you need shooters and you need on the ball defenders that can guard on the perimeter tightly. Obviously I, that can then scheme plays involved, but I don't know. We just look at the sweet 16, seven of the sweet 16 teams were in the top 30 in three point shooting. So we talk about three point shooting. It's obviously important. And to your point, yes, evaluations have been missed to some standpoint, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, hey. not, I'm glad I'm not Roe Williams is all, oh. is, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, with with the and I mentioned the admissions with the issues. I mean, who knows what the roster is going to look like? I mean, it you know, it, it's a crazy time for Carolina basketball. One thing's for certain: they'll field a team, um, and you know, in October of next year, those guys will roll out to practice in Carolina. I think they'll ultimately be a pretty good team. Uh, who's on the roster? Who knows? Um, and I that's got why. next year of eligibility left. Well, you go sign Roy, up. Roy know. hasn't seen my Roy hasn't seen my three point shot. You, you mean your you mean your fifteen foot pull up and Cameron? Yeah, that's that's exactly what they need is more fifteen Very foot nice. pull ups. We uh maybe maybe inside Carolina can get in on the media game. Um, you can sub in for Ross out there. There are seven hundred ninety guys in the transfer portal as of today. So and you said there was fifty five editions today. I mean, it's going to be fifty five editions today. Seven hundred ninety in the portal, and it's just forty five hundred players at the division one level, and seven hundred ninety so, of them are in the portal. Yeah, I think the NCA oh screwed the gosh. pooch. <laughs> the NCA has screwed the pooch, but we will see what happens. Someone uh, said we need Stillman White running running the point. Does he have an extra year? Uh, like, he probably does. Hey, back on his trip. He's probably he's not right. Hey, he beat Ohio. <laughs> Who did Ohio lose to? Uh, beat in the first round. Didn't they beat Virginia? They did. That Preston yeah, kid way. almost had a triple double. Tommy, yeah. what's your I bracket had, looking like, Tommy? It's awful. Had, yeah, mine. I had three predictions. I think I said Michigan State Elite Eight, Georgia <laughs> Tech were a bunch of dogs, and UNC was going to be Wisconsin. So. Whatever I tell, say in this podcast, take all your money, bet the opposite, and you'll be rich. I'm in a family pool. There's a bunch of us in it. And my 10-year-old daughter and my 10-year-old niece are leading the pool after the first weekend. Well, I was Anarchy, like – Nope, just called basketball. I was like when Wichita State went, made their final four run, my two-year-old brother, my dad just went down the list and just said the first name, the first letter of each team. His favorite letter was W. He won our family pool. Yeah, because I, uh, his favorite letter was W. It's just like, come on, like, what are we doing, right? I'm I'm winning my family pool, but it's it's like, you know, who who has the least amount of blood on their bracket? But I will say this: I've still got Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field. I've just needed Gonzaga. I didn't even need Baylor. So and uh, Baylor looked mighty good against Wisconsin. 
it's, it, I'll be shocked if it's not one of those two teams, um, even though the Sweet mm-hmm. 16 should be fun. Carolina basketball, Carolina football, this has been the Only Beat podcast. That's Gregory Hall, Greg Barnes, and Luke Buxton. We've been live. If you didn't listen live, but you listen later, you need to check us out live. Next Tuesday, we're going to try to do this at 8 o'clock hour or so every Tuesday during spring football. Um, we've had 100. We, we're at 147 right now, which is the most we've ever had. More than that week when we were talking about the COVID party and everything. So thanks to everyone watching live. I hope you guys have – and thanks for interacting. This is more interacting we've had, right? I mean, we haven't really Absolutely. had this many questions ever. And so what we'll do is we'll we'll talk and we'll figure out which the best question was. We'll get your information. We'll send you some Inside Carolina swag, uh, maybe a Greg Barnes autograph. Um, I'm sure you will frame that. It can go on the wall, you know. I've, I've got one somewhere on these walls. Anyway, boys, it's been fun. Johnny T-Shirt's our sponsor. Rate us, review us, and follow and subscribe, all that good stuff. On the beat, InsideCarolina.com. Thanks, boys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.